What are people asking you about? What's your audience saying? If you're having a one-way conversation, it's just so hard. That's not the spirit of social media. Like you want to have that dialogue with your audience. You want to listen to requests that they have or questions that they want answered. Welcome back to Poolside Podcast. Happy Wednesday. This is episode 151. I'm your host, Rachel Friesen. Last week, I only said my first name because it's awkward to say my new last name, but this is the week that we are now officially transforming my name because it's about time and I would like to have my child have the same last name as us. So I'm the one that needs to get on board. But anyway, welcome back to the podcast. I am excited that you're here. I'm excited for you to listen to this episode with Austin. She's amazing. She is a full-time content creator. She just celebrated one year of doing it full-time herself after quitting her job at a tech startup. And I think it's just so interesting to hear about full-time content creators. Like I own a business, but I own just like a typical business. Like I'm not a full-time content creator because I don't know if I could ever have that much pressure to create content for just myself. Um, So I really like to acknowledge people that were able to do that. And she creates amazing content. So she is a YouTuber, a TikToker, an Instagrammer, a blogger. She started as a blogger. She's also an educator. So she puts out a lot of resources that help content creators grow their platforms, create content, figure out that side of things. So she really does it all. She has a weekly email list. It's She has a lot of content happening. And so we dive deep into how she makes that happen, the difference between searchable platforms or algorithm-based platforms and why you should be on one of each. She gives advice for people who want to get into content creation and how to plan their content. We also talk about her journey just from her job and when she realized that she was able to do this full-time and the different income streams that she has. So she has eight now. She had five when she quit her full-time job. And so we talk about the importance of having different income streams that aren't necessarily just brand partnerships because you are relying on an external source then for that income as opposed to you and your community and you have more control if it's like a digital product like she has or affiliate links or things like that. And so we get into how she how she makes money because I think that's always someone's first question when they look at content creators and don't quite understand what they are doing. So we talk about all of that. We dive deep into the content creator world and she gives a lot of insight into how she's built her business, where she's going with it and how she's been able to sustain it. So if you're a content creator or looking to get into it, this is a great episode and full of resources. I am finishing recording this and then I'm going to basically watch every single YouTube video she's ever put out and all of her TikToks because I think it's really important to learn all of that and I feel like sometimes I'm just creating content on Instagram and there's so much more potential for other platforms. I'm currently redoing my blog and I just want to take advantage of all the other platforms that they have even though I do Instagram the most because it's just the most familiar but it's not necessarily the best performing platform as we all know. So let's jump into it. Here is Austin. Welcome back to Poolside Podcast. I am here with Austin via Zoom. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Do you want to start with introducing yourself, just giving us a little bit who you are, what you do? 
Yeah, of course. So, hey everyone, I'm Austin. I am a fashion and beauty content creator based in New York City. I actually started a blog almost 10 years ago at this point in June 2012 called Keep Calm and Chiffon. And I was really inspired by a lot of the kind of original fashion bloggers at the time, like Brian Boy, Rumi Neely. I used to have all of them in this blog love and feed that I would check like first thing in the morning to see if anyone had just uploaded a new post, new outfit photo, new inspiration. And I just loved fashion blogs. I thought they were so cool. It was like being your own editor of your own digital magazine world situation, but you also got to work with brands and was just totally fascinated by the whole thing. So mine was nothing like that. <laughs> it's still sort of nothing like that. Um, but I really wanted to just start documenting my outfits over a summer. So it was a big experiment and never did I think like a decade later, I'd still be <laughs> creating content and uploading blog posts. So I started with the blog. I got an Instagram account around the same time. And even though my Instagram account has always been my personal Instagram, I've never had like a separate blog or separate personal one. I was that girl who was asking people, hey, can you take my outfit photo for Instagram and hashtagging OOTD and posting? And my friends were like, what is she doing? <laughs> And, but they were, you know, became more supportive over time. And I just tried to post consistently, grow my audience. Um, I went to college here in New York City at Barnard, which is an all women's college, which was amazing and gave me access to network with tons of cool people, internship opportunities and things like that. And during my time there, I pretty much decided I wanted to work at magazines, but I was still maintaining the blog on the side and even submitted a blog post as a writing sample for one of my internships because I just needed something and that was the blog was there. Um, so then I went on to work as an editor and then also working at a tech startup, freelancing a little in between. But last April 2021, I quit my job to finally pursue content creation full time. So I just celebrated my one year anniversary of being out on my own. But yeah, that's the kind of origin story of the blog and how a few other things kind of manifested around that too. No, I love that. And I think it's such a, it's so interesting when you get to a point now, because I feel like there's no direct path to become a content creator or a blogger or something right now. I feel like people who are starting now have more of a pathway because it's much more like laid out. But I feel like when you were like starting a blog 10 years ago, like... <laughs> you're like, what is the internet? Like nobody quite knew, like you said, friends are like, what are you doing? Like very, people were very confused about just what the opportunities were with the blog. And so I think it's impressive that you were able to start, but then maintain that through the last 10 years and lead to a real career. Because I feel like, and I know too, I started my blog seven years ago that people just didn't think it was like a real thing. And you're just like, no, like I promise, like this is real. And so it's so interesting to hear your story. And I want to dive a little bit deeper into what the jobs were like that you like the lessons that you learn and stuff. Cause I, I feel like we have similar stories, which is super interesting. I really wanted to be a magazine editor coming out of school because it just like seemed really cool to do that, which is why I started my blog because I was like, I'm writing these like essays in university that like are not magazine writing. So I was like, what am I supposed to do? So I started a blog for that reason as well. So just like have a different outlet for writing. It's kind of like a magazine. And then I internet a magazine and then it crashed. And I was just like, okay, don't want to be a magazine editor. <laughs> I was like, this looks hard. And I was in Calgary. Like I was not in New York. We were not working at big magazines. I was like, this is not going to work out for me. So I jumped to social media for my actual job, but 
but it's so interesting to just hear someone else's like journey through it that started with a magazine and the same, like, I feel exactly how you felt about just like that magazine writing photo part of it. And so working at the magazines and, and like I said, before we start, I kind of heard a little bit of your story through the waves podcast episode as I was doing this research, but what are some of the lessons you learned or things that you took away from working at the magazine and then working at the tech startup that you kind of collected to be able to create your career on your own today? Yeah, well, it's so nuts just how this industry has changed, even just in the last five years. I mean, I was the first, now I feel like all of my former editor friends and writers and things like that have all sort of gone through like layoffs or like tumultuous staff situations in one way or another. But I was the first one of any of my friends I knew to go through like a layoff and to go through that. And because I was a print magazine editor at both Nylon and then Interview here in New York City. And like you said, it seemed so cool. And I was so like (laughs) completely in denial when I finally got the editorial assistant job at Nylon when I was about to graduate from college. And I was like, wait a minute, this magazine is going to let me like work there and like go there every day and be a face of, you know, the brand. I was just totally shell-shocked because that was the coolest magazine I could think of growing up. And the fact that I got to work there was just like, you know, my brain was exploding. It was just so (laughs) exciting. So, I mean, in terms of like, and you know, what's hard about it too, is since I did get laid off, I worked at Nylon for a year and a half and I had gotten promoted while I was there. You know, I had taken on managing like the fashion news section of the magazine, the art section of culture club, and then also contributing to online too, because it was a really small and scrappy team. Um, So luckily I had some experience writing for the website. I offered to do some Snapchat takeovers in (laughs) the world of 2016 that we were living in. And I think that I tend to sometimes look back and focus on like, yeah, I got laid off. And then like, this is what happened next. And that's just because it's the most recent memory. That's how it kind of ended for me. But I loved being an editor. There's no denying that. And I probably would have stuck with it until like the bitter, bitter end if I had not (laughs) kind of gotten tossed out twice. So yeah, both times were layoffs where I had no notice. Like there was, you know, a meeting called that day and they said, pack up your stuff. Oh, and this is what's happening. Yeah. Um, at least the second time around, I had a bit more foresight into that. That was a possibility, but either way, it was still just disappointing. And I think I was like 23 or something after the second one. I'm like, I'm 23. I've been laid off twice, Man. but I like <laughs> love this industry so much. And I've done all the right things. I did all these internships. I made all these connections. Like what the heck? And I think like, I actually was kind of lucky in a way because one thing that I really took away from it was, you know, there were a lot of seasoned print magazine editors who were a lot older than I was, who now it's like, well, where do I go from here? Whereas me, I feel like I was still kind of new enough that I had that flexibility and I've never been the best at flexibility. I'm the first to admit (laughs) it. I like what I like. I rewatch a lot of the same shows. Like I have my favorite spots to get pizza or to go get a drink or whatever. I definitely stick to what I know. And I was having a hard time being flexible and thinking about adjusting my whole career path based on, you know, these two setbacks that I kind of experienced, but being flexible is what saved me, I think. And that's what really helped me spend more time on my blog. Like when I was still freelance writing after my layoffs, but 
you know, not fully committing to freelance writing all the time, I was starting to then say, well, I do have my blog. I mean, can I like reach out to brands or can I talk to some people or can I try to do what some of these other bigger creators are doing? And this was in like 2017, 2018. And so I knew there was a way to do it. I just had never seen anyone kind of my size, quote unquote, with a smaller audience do it really successfully. And so that's kind of what got my gears turning, thinking about like, okay, well, can't I just like try to sign up for as many networks as possible? I've probably watched every YouTube video, read every book, (laughs) read every blog post that just talks about like how to make this work, especially as a small creator. And that's when I started kind of getting questions from people like, how are you reaching out to brands? Like, how are you doing this? And then I ended up turning basically all of that knowledge and all of those like, oh, I would love to get coffee with you and chat with you into, hey, if we were going to get coffee and chat, this is what I would tell you. And that's how I came out with an ebook all about pitching that I was able to share with my fellow freelance writers because I was writing for like Teen Vogue, Fashionista, HuffPost as a freelancer and getting stories commissioned. And also for the content creators who were like, wait, you worked with Garnier? Like, how did you do that? I would love to work with them and kind of shared my pitch process, how I stand out and all of that. So that was, I I think, being flexible and then also kind of leaning into like, what are people asking you about? What's your audience saying? And that was one thing we really didn't do at magazines very much. Like, I think we had, you know, a place where readers could write in. And I feel like I remember that we just never really checked (laughs) in on that, which if you're having a one-way conversation, it's just so hard. That's not the spirit of social media. Like you want to have that dialogue with your audience. You want to listen to requests that they have or questions that they want answered. So yeah, I know that was a lot, but. (laughs) No, I think that's great. I think being flexible probably plays into a huge or plays a huge factor into what you're doing now as well, because you just, especially social media, because it changes basically every day. And so you have to be flexible at how you're going to tackle all the platforms and your audience and what the internet just wants from you. And so were you to go back just a little bit before we get into that, were you at your tech startup when you decided to like, that was the job you quit right last year? Yes. So timeline wise, I was working at nylon an interview from 2016 to mid 2018. And then in the fall of 2019, I got hired at a tech startup. So it was an app for creating and sharing short form video content. And I got hired as the beauty content director, which was also something I completely was not anticipating whatsoever. (laughs) I just, a friend of mine told me that there was an opportunity and she thought of me for it. She was like, I just don't know anyone else who like knows the beauty industry, who can create this type of content and who I think would also be like a good community manager for a community of creators on this app. And I, I mean, after like my kind of trajectory, Christy Dash is like one of my heroes. <laughs> she like um, used to be Eva Chen's assistant at Lucky and then worked at Allure magazine and now leads beauty partnerships for Instagram. And I was like, oh my God, I could be like the Christy Dash of like this <laughs> startup. That's so cool. So I just, I spent two weeks actually doing kind of like a trial one run with them as a contractor did a few projects, got to meet the team. And then they extended a full-time offer to me. And I was like, yeah, totally. And that was, like I said, kind of 50% like community management. So helping creators, if they had any glitches or problems or anything, um, if they wanted new features, if they there was something that they wanted the app to do that they didn't see, they could talk to me about. Um, I would also give them ideas for like what's trending right now. Like if it's October, is Halloween's coming up? Are you guys doing any like Halloween 
makeup looks or it's Easter, you guys have like any pastel eyeshadow looks for Easter, I don't know, whatever it is. And then the other side of it was kind of publicity and outreach about the app. And so kind of getting brands interested in it, getting publications, you know, building relationships with reporters who covered like digital culture and things like that. So it was a really interesting melding of experiences because as an editor, I knew how to spot trends. I knew how to curate content. I knew how to edit words, but from my social media experience that I basically created on my own from doing the blog and social media channels that I had maintained, I also understood what is it like from a creator standpoint. And so I had a lot of fun usually being the first one on the team. Like if there was a new feature to test out, the phone would get handed to me and the product designer (laughs) and the um, CEO would like sit behind me and watch <laughs> while I just clicked around on the app right. and be like, wait, why did you go to touch there? Did you think something was going to uh, pop up? And I was like, yeah, normally like on Instagram, for example, I would have thought this would pop up. So when it didn't, I started clicking around just to see if something would happen. Um, and so I didn't even realize how valuable that creator perspective was to a team like that. And it was, it made me feel like really important and validated and like I was good at my job. The, the only thing that really changed everything was obviously the pandemic, um, at which point me and I was overseeing like fashion beauty at the time, you know, my categories kind of slid off. Like we had started building some momentum and then there was kind of a, a shift within the app. So like our food and craft categories started exploding because everyone was <laughs> cooking at home and anyone who had kids was wanted craft projects or things to do or just things to occupy yourself no one was getting dressed no one was doing beauty stuff it was it was honestly even for me personally who loves getting dressed and doing my makeup every day that was like the first time that I stopped doing it like first thing in the morning I fell out of my routine too and so because of that shift my role kind of changed at the company and I was very grateful I did not get fired I will just (laughs) say that up front But, you know, I kind of shifted into a more like general help role for the app. I started working with like the travel category, which was cool, but we couldn't really travel because of like, you know, it was there was just a lot that changed based on what I thought I had signed up for. Um, So I started kind of thinking to myself, I I don't know, because I had been freelance before and it was not fun the first time around. (laughs) I was chasing paychecks. I was getting like hundred and fifty dollar assignments. And I was like, how many of these am I supposed to do in order to like live my life? So I felt like I was constantly hustling. I felt like it was paycheck to paycheck. I felt like it was always, I don't know about this. And there was no stability. And I hated that. And I would not recommend anyone put themselves in that position (laughs) if at all possible. So I knew I was like, if I ever want to do this by myself again, there has to be stability. There has to be consistent income. And I have to feel like that doesn't come from me spending 80 hours a week trying to chase people down and try to really like get caught up in that. So I, re- I needed proof of income, which luckily I had from 2019 and 2020, I had earned five figures of revenue from my blog and social media while it was still my side hustle. So that was a big thing to me because I said, okay, if I can do that as just like, I don't know, what was it? 20 hours a week, maybe at the time. What could I really do if I spent all of my time and energy on it? Right. No, I think that's, it's super interesting. That was going to be my question is how you knew when it was a good time to, to jump. Cause I feel like anytime someone's switching a career, whether or not they're going to work for themselves or they're switching, starting a business or anything that you have to have that moment where you're like, okay, I'm not going to starve. 
I'm going to have a little bit of money, but I feel like there's always a moment that's different for everybody to know when you're ready to make that leap. And so how did your friends and family feel about that? Or like your parents or someone that like maybe didn't understand what you were doing. And then the thought of you then being a content creator full-time, what was that conversation like? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think the ultimate decision was that combination of like my job that I loved at first has really changed a lot and I'm no longer as happy. And I don't think I'm like serving them very well either. I have this proof of like concept. I've stuck with it for nine years at that point. So like, (laughs) I don't think I'm going to give it up anytime soon. And also honestly with the pandemic too, it's like, what do you want to be doing with your life every day? And that also hits really close to home for me because my dad actually had a very early, very severe case of COVID in March, 2020. And so I had actually moved home. My boyfriend and I moved home like with my mom for three months um, while my dad was in the hospital. And he finally like got out, came home. He's doing very well today, but it was certainly like a scary time and definitely something that obviously makes you reevaluate a lot. And my parents have always known, I would say that I'm very like entrepreneurial. I used to you know, make greeting cards and like sell them in our house to them. (laughs) So like if my dad needed a card for Mother's Day, he could buy a card for me. Like (laughs) I I used to do lemonade stands, even though I lived on a double cul-de-sac street and like no one ever came by. I just wanted (laughs) to sit out there and have a product and sell and talk to people. So I definitely think that's always been a part of my DNA growing up. And so they weren't really surprised at all. I think the question everyone has is just, how are you going to make it work? And that was a question that I needed to have a prepared answer to for, you know, my parents who like, if I ever really, really needed it, I'm sure could potentially bail me out or help me out of a situation, <laughs> but I don't want to have to be asking them for money. I want to be financially independent. And also my boyfriend who I live with and share living expenses with, because I, if I put myself in his shoes and he came to me and said, Hey, I'm going to quit my well-paying job with health insurance. I'm like, for me, it was like stock <laughs> options and stuff. And I'm just going to like go at it on my own. If there was like, and here's the plan behind it, I would have felt a lot more comfortable with it. So that's really what I did. And a big part of it was saving. I'm very transparent about that, which is that because we weren't really doing much between like spring 2020. And then by the time I left my job last spring, I just was hemorrhaging money into a savings account like into a rainy day fund to also know okay if I leave and let's just say in the first six months I don't earn a single cent that I can still pay rent I can still like say yes to dinner with a friend and not feel bad about it um and that I could basically like continue to live my life pretty normally so having that rainy day fund was big peace of mind too because then it's like okay if I also don't see momentum up until a certain point then I have to ask myself is this working and can you keep going with it and it's scary stuff to have to ask yourself too especially when you're kind of putting all of your cards on the table so to speak and kind of going all in with what you want to do totally no I definitely I feel that because there's so much pressure like you said there's a lot of people also then relying on you as well as yourself, obviously, but like your boyfriend and people just don't want to see you not succeed. So, yeah. So having the plan definitely got everyone on board, but everyone was like, listen, if anyone could do it, it's you, which was very reassuring. I'm glad that I, I am that kind of person amongst like my close friends, my family and my partner too. Yeah, definitely. They didn't have to like argue with them that it's going to be okay. They just like believed in you, which I feel like also just helps you like keep going then you're like okay well if they think I can do it then 
then you can do it, you know, which I think is awesome. And so when you quit your job to do this full time, what types of income did you have? So you had your blog and social media. So did you expand quickly to be like, okay, what else can I do to have income streams? Or did you just like ride out the blog partnership, brand partnership kind of things to see where that would go? Okay. So I think by the time I left, I might've had five income streams already in place. And today I have eight. I think the first five were like brand partnerships or sponsored content was the big one through blog and social media. I had ads on my YouTube channel. I had affiliates through LTK or like to know it. And then I had my digital products, which at the time was just my ebook right on pitch. I've since like released more. And then I believe that was also the year I started consulting in a very like limited capability. So those were my first five income streams. Um, Some of the other ones I have now are, well, one, I've kind of expanded a few of the existing ones. So I now earn ads on my blog as well as my YouTube channel. I have more digital products now that I've released in addition to the ebook. And then I have, I call them platform incentives. It's like Pinterest's creator rewards fund, the TikTok creator fund, um, Instagram bonuses are kind of in that category. And I also launched a Patreon community in January of this year. So, but yeah, I definitely would recommend having at least like two or three. And if there's one that can kind of be passive, so to speak, once you put in the initial work and that kind of can bring in revenue over time, I think that makes a big difference. And that was definitely one of the things that I knew going into spending my time and energy on this full time that was going to be a big priority to really expand those passive income streams and also to think about how I could scale them. So like if you're earning a hundred dollars a month passively, let's just say from YouTube AdSense, like, can you get that up to 500 a month passively? Can you get it up to a thousand? Can you keep growing and building it? And so if that's the goal, then work backwards. Okay. How do you do that? First, you need more viewers, more subscribers. What type of content are you going to create? What kinds of calls to action do you need? And putting all of that work in place up front so that later on, it just kind of continues to grow the same way. Like if you invest in the stock market, it'll ideally grow over time. Right. No. And I think that's super important for people to understand too. I think a lot of people from like the outside perspective of how content creators are making money, they only see like brand partnerships. And I feel like it's important for people to know the different income streams, but also to have ones that are more tied to you as opposed to relying on brands to then oh, I'm so glad pay you. you. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that because you, no one else is you. That's like your superpower. That's your secret weapon. And I know in March, 2020, it was a scary time for a lot of the kind of traditional influencers that I knew of my friends, you know, who, Oh, okay. I'm have a hundred thousand followers. I'm out here creating fashion content and everything's fine and dandy. A lot of those marketing budgets got put on hold. So it's like, if that was 80% of your income. And that in 2019, brand partnerships were about 80% of my income. Okay. So what happens if brands stop reaching out to you or what happens if you don't want to work with brands anymore? Like where else is your money coming from? And so diversifying my revenue streams was really important to me. Currently brand deals or at the end of 2021, I should say brand deals were 54% of my total overall revenue with these other sources supplementing anywhere from like 10% to like 4%. And that was, you know, that's brand deals is still a huge chunk of it. There's no denying that, but I'm not fully reliant on them. 
like if they went away, I would still have income. It's not like I'd be left with nothing. I just need to figure out then how do I scale the rest of this? But it's really important, I think, for content creators to develop their own products or offer their own services that are separate from these brand collaborations, just because, you know, waiting 30 days or 60 days sometimes for someone to pay you for a project or for things to fall through. I mean, I, I hate to sound so cynical. It's just I've been through a lot of experiences where I've been led to believe like I was an important part of something and then I was kind of cast away really easily. So I trust myself more than I trust anyone else ever. And so that's why developing these income streams so that it's all about me and I'm in control of them has been a really important component for me. Totally. No. And I think, like you said, over the pandemic, it really showed like I'm a very small creator in that, but even all of my partnerships were all gone. And like, I just happened to have a digital marketing agency, which thrived because people realized you need social media to talk to your clients. So like I was fine, but all of my influencer stuff basically got put on hold for like two years. And, and you're just like, oh, well, that's interesting. You're like, there goes, I mean, that was technically like my travel fund. So then there was also no mm. traveling. So it was fine. But like, you do have that realization that you're like, if you're relying on this income, you need something else to like have as a backup. And so did you start any income streams that didn't work? I feel like some people are like, I'm going to start like doing this and then it doesn't work. So people get discouraged or like, well, am I even going to make money doing this? Like, did you ever start an income stream, like a t-shirt or like some other thing and it just didn't work out? Or have you been pretty like strategic in how you create those revenue streams? Well, fun fact about me is I'm terrified of ever creating a physical product because I just feel like <laughs> so much effort has to go into it. And <laughs> I have so many concerns about like supply chain and like, you know, inclusivity in terms of like sizing and products and shades and things like that. I'm just like, if I were to ever do that, I would love to like curate something in collaboration with a brand like Michaela, who's a big beauty TikToker, just did a box with glow recipe where she picked like her three favorite products. Mm. And I'm like, that's what I would like to right. do. <laughs> In terms of my own income streams, um, I think the digital products for a lot of people can be tricky. And I think that unless you kind of get information, do your market research, and also kind of beta test them with people, it can be a little bit hard to figure out what is really going to sell versus what you think might sell. So until I kind of started creating content to market my digital products, it was a little slow going in the beginning because you know, you can promote a product through social media, but the conversion rates might not necessarily be there. But on a platform like YouTube, or even in my email newsletter, I've noticed if I ever like mention the ebook or mention, I have like an invoice template for content creators that gets a higher click through rate. And that gets more people interested and over to the page of the three digital products I have, I guess I would say the one I don't know if I would call it a failure just yet. Maybe it still needs a little more time, <laughs> but I do have a content batching planner. That's my lowest selling product kind of by a lot compared to the other two things. And so then I would go back in and ask myself questions like, was it the price point? Like if I looked at this, would I pay it's $5? Like would I really pay $5 for this when I could kind of go do something similar versus like the invoice template that I have, that's editable within Canva. All you have to do is like swap in your information, hit download, and you have an invoice and you didn't have to like think that hard about it. Right. That's also $5. And I think even just thinking about those two products next to each other, I would probably be more inclined to go for the invoice template. I feel like there's a lot more there there for me. 
or maybe maybe I'm not explaining the batching content planner that well, or maybe I need more examples of how I'm really using it, or maybe it's better off being a resource in my Patreon community and not a standalone digital product. So there's definitely questions like that that I think um, people need to ask. Like I was actually listening to a podcast, I forget the girl's name, but she shared it in a blogging Facebook group I'm in with her Q1 um, kind of income report and her expenses and stuff. And she said she spent a ton of money on Facebook ads, got a lot of click-throughs, but then she got no sales to whatever it was. And I was like, oh my God, I would love to see what her sales page is because I feel like she should that should have immediately told her, okay, you're getting click-throughs here. It's not like your ads aren't working, but what's the experience when someone lands on that sales page? Right. Are there reviews from people? Are you really clearly sharing like what this is? Like, is there a pop-up when they're going to X out, offering them a freebie of some kind? Like there are so many more ways to kind of keep someone engaged and keep someone involved. And I, I also know like my website's not the best for that. And that's because I've coded everything myself, like up until this point, and maybe we'll outsource that and get someone to help me, you know, land more, like close more sales eventually later on too. But I think that sometimes it's like, it, sometimes it is your fault, you know, right. what I mean? <laughs> and it's really hard to admit that, but even I can look at that batching content planner and be like, yeah, I can kind of see why like not everyone is jumping up and down to go buy it versus like the pitch ebook, which is a really in-depth informative resource for people that answers a lot of questions that took me like five years to figure out. Right. Yeah, definitely. And it is then, like you said, kind of knowing what your audience is looking for, as opposed to just like what you thought they were looking for. Um, and it's so just as a side note, I started a merch line just for fun. Same thing, like kind of a pandemic thing. And I said it to my husband the other day, I was like, I think what I think is cool is not necessarily what the people who are following me think is cool. Like in some <laughs> things have done well, but there's a couple things where I'm like, well, I think this is super cool, but nobody bought it. And I'm like, well, guess this is, I guess I have 20 of these t-shirts to wear forever. Like it's just, right. you know what I mean? And I think it is understanding your community really well then and seeing what they want and not making it just about you, which is the lesson that I learned, but it all, it's all a learning experience. And so, and the good thing, I guess, about digital products and even like merch stuff is that they don't like expire. You know what I mean? I was like, I right. can keep these forever. Eventually someone will buy them. And same with the digital product. Like you put the time into it. It's already there. There's like not a lot of loss if it's not as popular as some of the other ones. Right. There's no overhead cost and there's no inventory technically. So there, there are infinite copies out there available to purchase if that's what people totally. really want. <laughs> exactly. Um, and let's talk a little bit about your content creation because my, I'm so interested in how people like what their content process looks like, how you plan this, what the time goes into it, especially as your like full-time job, because you have just like not endless time. Like obviously there's things you have to do and like admin stuff, but just how do you set up what your content creation process looks like timelines walk us through like your whole thing and for different platforms. Cause second question to that is, do you focus on a platform and then your content just goes into the other platforms or tell us the whole thing? Yeah. So, I mean, it can be really overwhelming to try to figure out where to start and where to focus. And so I actually do think platforms is a big part of that because there are so many people who are like, oh my God, I feel like I should be on TikTok, but like they hate 
being like you know being awkward or like making fun of themselves <laughs> or like lip syncing which I could they're it's, it's uncomfortable sometimes totally. but <laughs> if you're not willing to kind of put yourself out there play into trends and like be a little bit like goofy I guess then maybe TikTok's not the right platform for you maybe you're an educator and like a podcast is what you should be focusing on or like a YouTube channel and I think that the best thing you could do is pick things that play to your strengths and that might not mean everything you know <laughs> like it's so hard to figure out where to spend your time and how to make the most of everything that you are trying to accomplish and so I know for me now my big priority platforms are YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and Pinterest. And for me, it's, I really get a lot out of what I put into those different platforms. So I think there are two different kind of types of platforms to think about for creators. There are searchable platforms like YouTube, like your blog, even like Pinterest, even though Pinterest is trying to be a bit more social media focused lately with like idea pins and stuff. And then there are algorithm controlled platforms like TikTok and Instagram, where if you're creating reels or you're creating TikTok videos, there's a pretty loose algorithm and you could potentially go viral and get a lot of new followers from that. But what's the return on that into your business in terms of dollars? Like, are you getting paid out from the reels bonus? Are you, was it because you were using this crazy product that's on Amazon and all these people shopped your Amazon associates link that you get an affiliate commission for? So again, I think whatever you're most interested in is where you should start and see where things go from there. I would definitely recommend if possible, like if your bandwidth allows you to do so, having a presence on a searchable platform like YouTube or a blog and having a presence on an algorithm driven platform like TikTok and Instagram. And I'm a big fan of trying to repurpose, you know, content when and where you can, but not at the like detriment of the content looking like it belongs on that platform. So for example, like using a TikTok video with a watermark on Instagram reels, it's just a little, you know, lazy at this point, I want to say, like, Mm -hmm. it's so easy to remove it or screen record it or do it in an external app and then share to both. Um, I even sometimes will take my YouTube videos and put them in like an auto transcriber to get the closed captions and then also save that file to potentially use it as the basis of a blog post later on because I've already done keyword research and let's get double life out of that content. So I think thoughtful repurposing can be really helpful for showing up in many different ways, but you know, all of these platforms want us to be creating original content for those platforms. That's the hard thing about it. And it really does require a lot of work on the part of creators. So just having a plan, like at the top of the month, you know, I, in my Patreon community, um, offer these like desktop wallpapers. I have my April one, like on my desktop background (laughs) right now, and it lists all of the upcoming holidays for the month. So thinking like, okay, so April, you know, Earth Day is coming up or something. Like, what are my favorite sustainable fashion brands? Or like, what are my favorite um, ways to recycle my beauty products? Like, that kind of already can give you some ideas for content. You can also look back a year ago, right? Like it's spring. What were my favorite spring outfits from last year? You can post an Instagram carousel. So I think being to some extent trendy and to some extent evergreen also is really important um, in terms of the different categories of content that you create. I find Pinterest trends and Google trends to be really helpful for coming up with content ideas that are kind of now and of the moment. And 
honestly, also just keeping a list of what your audience, you know, replies to your DMs about or asks in YouTube comments, that can be a great catalyst for kind of content ideas as well. So for me, in terms of like frequency of content, I do YouTube videos on Tuesdays, newsletter Wednesday, blog post Friday, almost always. I've gotten a lot less, um, I don't, I just care less about Instagram. I know that <laughs> sounds kind of bad to say. It's still a super important platform, but I'm less stressed about, I need to show up this many times a week for this reason. Like stories, I will post stories all day. They're so easy. I love doing that. I think I've probably posted maybe like twice on my main feed photo wise though in the last month. And that's very different from 2018 where I was posting a photo pretty much every single day. So I think now also like on TikTok though, I'm trying to be more consistent and post more frequently. And so my question to myself was, okay, if you're going to try to post almost every day on TikTok, you have to be okay that some days you're going to show up in a messy bun with no makeup, <laughs> if that's the case. And maybe not everything is going to be perfect. Um, so I feel like that was the most all over the place way I could have explained all of that. But I think to summarize a little bit, finding a platform that speaks to your strengths and works for you, thinking about having at least one searchable and at least one algorithm controlled platform and thoughtfully repurposing content or using trends or your audience's feedback to kind of come up with content ideas that you've already validated people want to see and are interested in. No, I think that's great. I think you did a great job. It might've felt like to you, like you were blabbling <laughs> on, but it was very informative. And I think you covered all questions that people had that were listening. Or Do you, <laughs> and I know you talked about that you have like a, a content batching like document that people can buy. How often do you batch your content? Like when you say you have like a YouTube and like all your very specific content, do you sit down at the beginning of the month and like film all of it or write all of it? Or do you just have like an outline of what you're going to say? Or, and I know we talked about this before we started recording that you need a YouTube video in like two days and you haven't done it yet, but like, right. <laughs> how does that look for you in terms of like batching content or knowing what you're going to be like filming or writing or creating? Okay. Ideally, it's kind of like a factory assembly line. So for YouTube, for example, a few weeks ago, I sat down and found video topics for every Tuesday for the rest of the quarter through like July 1st or whatever. So I have all my topics down, but now I also go in and I write a script for everything. And I also do kind of keyword research for everything, even before I film it. So That'll be, usually I try to do them like two at a time. So like today or tomorrow, probably I'll do the keyword research and scripts for the next two videos I have coming up. Then I usually try to film two at a time also. And I'll just like, you know, once, cause once you set up the camera, the tripod, the lights and everything, totally. you don't want to break it down again. So <laughs> I'll just swap out my top or maybe like pull my hair back for the second video, something like that and end up batching content. And same thing with editing. Then there's the actual video editing. Then there is filling in the description box template, adding end screen, adding tags, um, creating a thumbnail, and then actually finally uploading it. So especially like I have some travel planned at the end of the month, I'm gonna try to batch. So that's all ready to go before I leave so that I'm not missing a day. Um, for something like Instagram, if I'm shooting you know, outfit photos or something, 
maybe trying to shoot two looks at the same time. So I did a shoot in Central Park last weekend with the cherry blossoms, very vibey. Hope to show that soon. Oh, and so jealous. <laughs> oh, it was it's beautiful. Yeah. But I feel like the rain is probably gonna take them all down like this week. <laughs> and while we were shooting, my photographer also was videoing my outfit so I can create like some Instagram reels from that. And we had a changing tent and I was able to change into a second outfit and get the most out of my time with her. So it can really work the same for pretty much any platform because then for Instagram, you can go in, you can choose your photos, you can write a few different captions, you can schedule later, one of my favorite companies ever (laughs) for scheduling content, just added the ability to auto publish with carousel posts, which is like life changing. So (laughs) shout out later. Love you guys. Um, (laughs) And it just, that's one of the best ways to stay consistent. I would say too, it's like pick a schedule and just like stick to it. And I know that's easier said than done, but scheduling content and planning ahead can be really helpful. Totally. When I feel like people, especially like you're already established and if you're already used to it, but I feel like a lot of people want to get into content creation. And Mm. I feel like that is the best way to make a schedule and be, have that consistency, because if you don't, then you're not going to post enough. And then you end up still wanting to be a content creator in like six months or in a year when you like circle back to be like, Oh, I should do this. And you just, you don't. So I do, I feel like having those deadlines just creates that like urgency for some, like, I know I'm like that, where if I have a deadline, you just are a little more efficient for some reason, rather than like, if you just have endless amount of time where you're like, I'll take a photo eventually and you just, or a video and you just never really do. And so I feel like creating that schedule especially if you can make it so it's doable, like doing nothing and then saying you're going to post like five YouTube videos a week is not going to be sustainable, but at least if you can like have a schedule. Yeah. I'm sorry to cut you off. I was just going to say, I think consistency doesn't have to mean frequency, right? Like I, some of my favorite newsletters come out twice a month and they're more from, you know, writers who are out there and writing's their full-time job, but they also have these newsletters that come out every other week. And I look forward to them so much and the quality is so amazing. So, and again, a searchable platform like YouTube, I post one video a week and I'm growing like, I think I grew 400 followers or 400 new subscribers last month. And I only created four new videos versus I probably posted like, I don't know, close to 300 stories to Instagram over the course of a month. And maybe I gained like 20 new people. So it, I mean, both work in different ways for different reasons too, but just thinking about like, again, the value of a searchable platform is the lifespan of your content is a lot longer and you can get a lot more out of it over time. And doing one YouTube video a week is plenty like to start growing a channel. (laughs) Whereas if you are new to TikTok, I would probably say you probably will want to show up quite a lot in the beginning. And, you know, not every video is going to go viral and that's okay. You have to create content for your community who's there also, not just like, how can I go viral? Um, But you can also pick and choose platforms that require less activity too, if that's the way you need to go about it. Totally. Um, and where do you see like content creation and influencer marketing going as an industry? And I know it's changed so much in the past like day, but in the past like <laughs> few years. <laughs> so where do you see it going just like in the near future? What are you preparing for yourself in that aspect? Well, I think honestly, the big thing is just that it's gotten it, it has a lot more respect now than it did a few years ago. Like it's seen as a much more legitimate opportunity career path um, for people to kind of pursue. And so I think what's happened, especially with a platform like TikTok, where pretty much anyone can be a content creator just from picking up their phone, like they're 
this industry has been really democratized now. Like for a while, it was really, really hard to grow a following on Instagram, still very hard to grow a following there. Um, but then people were going viral on TikTok. And like, I mean, my boyfriend's sister-in-law has 4 million TikTok followers. <laughs> she lives in Rhode Island. She was working at a um, medical like company, like had nothing to do with you know, wanting to be a content creator. She's built this amazing community, like just from posting fun videos and being herself and letting it all kind of out there. Um, and I, that speaks a lot to her as a person, but I really feel like um, there's just gonna be an explosion of new creators. And so the question for me and other people is again, how do you stand out? What's unique about you? And with all of this competition and new influx of people, like what, part are you the most focused on? Because as much as I love fashion, maybe I'm not the first person a fashion brand thinks of for a collaboration. Maybe they think of someone who just posts all fashion content and not someone who's more like kind of multifaceted, at least on a platform like Instagram, or maybe this is the opportunity for me now who loves doing creator education to like reach back out to later who I've worked with before or pitch Canva or like TubeBuddy or some of these other things that I love and say, I would love to work with you guys because now my community is really interested in these things. And I think that also what I am hoping to see more of is brands kind of working with creators almost as like either consultants or ambassadors or something to better understand and navigate this world. Because I feel like when I was working for the tech startup, like my creators who would send me feedback or ask me questions would say, well, you get it. Like, it's just so nice to have someone who hears my concern or hears what I want and just knows instantly what it is. And sometimes I get email outreach from brands that just sounds like it was written by like a robot or like just really doesn't (laughs) seem like they have any understanding of what's going on. And like, it's 2022 guys, we need to get with the program here. So I definitely would love to see like more influencers and content creators become almost like creative directors or like, like I said, consultants or influencer, I don't know, liaisons or something (laughs) to the rest of the creator community because brands need creators. And right now I think they are only doing a small bit of what they really could be to make the most out of working with influencers. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And especially because the industry is growing so quickly and there's so much money being thrown around in it that I do feel like just having that bridge between influencers and content creators and the brands to make it all just work more smoothly. And so the people get out of it what they both want. Cause I feel like a lot of times, like either the influencer is getting more or the brand is getting more. And then the other side isn't as happy with it. So I do agree with you that that education needs to be from both sides. And what can we expect from you coming up this year? Do you have anything exciting coming that people can follow along for? Yeah. So you've heard me kind of talk about my love of um, searchable platforms throughout this episode. (laughs) And I have an SEO masterclass launching this spring. So I'm planning to launch it in May and it should also be around for like replay access. So if you're listening to this episode way after the fact, you could still look me up and try to find this masterclass. But I really just want, especially like my people, my like fashion, beauty, lifestyle people to really understand SEO. I feel like the food bloggers know all this stuff. (laughs) I feel like a lot of the DIY and home people know all this stuff. I personally only started learning about SEO like two years ago and I feel, I felt very behind at the time. Um, So this masterclass is basically everything in the last two years I've learned that's been working for me, like 
you know, distilled into something easy. Um, so there should be a link to sign up in my Instagram bio for that. So definitely check that out. And just honestly continuing creator education. Spring for me is going to be a big content sprint of just putting out great new YouTube videos, having awesome newsletter blasts, um, showing up on TikTok. Right now I'm showing up and just sharing like one thing that I'm working on in my creator business every day. People seem to be enjoying that and just continuing to put this information out there because people need it. And if anyone wants to do this, you can absolutely do it. You just have to be willing to put in the work and find people who can tell you what you need to know, which I hope I'm one of them. Totally. No, I love that. And I love that you have both paid and free resources because I feel like there's a lot of gatekeepers of the information. And so I feel like it's great to have both and to have someone who has so much experience and also want people to learn, to get into it. You know what I mean? Yes. If you want any of my free info, my YouTube channel is like the place to go. (laughs) And the, the, masterclass will be, um, a paid thing, but it's also just like, I can't go as deep in a YouTube video. And so this is the place where I really want to like dive deep, get in and also say to people, like, I hope this is the only one of these you'll ever have to buy, you know, let you get in, learn what you need to learn and then never have to like stress about it again. Right. No, that's amazing. I'm probably going to sign up because (laughs) SEO is just one of those things. You're like, I know it's there and I know what keywords are, but then to actually, dive into it. Like you said, to actually like learn something tangible is not something I spend my time researching on Google. So I just need someone to tell it to me, you know, like I, that's the easiest way. Definitely. Um, and where can people find and connect with you? I know you have a billion platforms and I will link them all, but just so for people who are just listening. Yeah. Well, shout out to my parents for giving me a unique name where I have my handle on all of my platforms. <laughs> so amazing. my name, Austin Tassone, Austin with an E. And then my blog is Keep Calm and Chiffon. And my website, austintassone.com has um, like, you know, more info about me and a link to sign up to my newsletter and all of that kind of stuff. I love that. Okay. One side question, just because you yeah. said your blog name again, have you ever thought about changing it to like your name? Cause I know a lot of people like you start with that blog name and then people just change it to their name or something. That's much more like generic. Is there a reason that you've kept it? <laughs> I mean, it's I great. Still, just, no. Okay. Yeah. I, I still love it 10 years later. And I was just thinking about this because I have officially like formed an LLC and everything. So I can have it listed as like doing business as, um, entity and stuff. Um, I think it really just, I don't know. I still just love it. And to me, there is almost two different things still. Like there is Keep Calm and Chiffon, like the fashion and beauty and also a bit about the creator economy blog to it. And then there's also me, Austin Tazone, as like a professional and as a brand. And so I do like having both for that reason. And it's just, it still rolls off the tongue. I don't know what to tell you. It's just (laughs) one of those things that stuck around and uh, it was between that or Tool Shed back in 2012, (laughs) like T-U-L-L-E. So I'm very that. happy with my choice, <laughs> but given what the other option might have been. Yeah, totally. No, I think it's great. I just always find it interesting for that when people are rebranding, usually over that amount of time, but I appreciate the fact that you kept it because it's amazing. Yeah. Visually, it probably is in need of an upgrade. I should probably call my graphic designer who did <laughs> all of my branding, which I love. Um, so yeah, I'm sure it could use an upgrade. I think a girl in my sorority made my logo like in an afternoon one day. So I love that. <laughs> it's iconic at this point, really. True that. 
<laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for taking your time and sharing all your wisdom. It was amazing. Like I learned a lot. And I'm sure everyone listening will too. So I appreciate your time and we'll stay in touch online. Yeah. Thanks for having me on Rachel. Thanks for listening to this episode of Poolside Podcast with Austin. I hope you learned a lot. As I was talking to her, I had like a thousand billion more questions because she just is such a wealth of knowledge and make sure you are following her on all her platforms. She has a ton of information on the internet as well as her courses. I'm excited for her SEO masterclass because I've done a lot of SEO research. However, I just find it easier when someone's already put it all together into a nice little package and will teach me everything. So it's great. I hope you learned a lot. Make sure you are subscribed to Poolside Podcast wherever you listen to it. Leave a rating and review. That would be super helpful. You can follow Poolside on Instagram at Poolside Digital or myself, Almost Famous with two Fs. Leave a comment. Send me a DM. Let's connect. I always like to hear from you guys. And we'll see you in the next episode. Bye.